Lost Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. Uh, and without further ado, uh, we have a first on, on this show, uh, the Brooklyn trolley blogger, Mike LeColant, who's been on this show plenty of times. He's going to uh, host today, and uh, I'm going to pass it right to him to uh, uh, introduce our guest. Thank you, Sam. Uh, in turn, let me not waste time. Today marks the 120th year since the passing in 1908 of Henry Chadwick, baseball historian, chronicler, and so much more. And he's known as the father of baseball. Now, there are many, but there are none like Chadwick. Uh, and today we have with us the author of a great book, a most enjoyable read, The Father of Baseball, a biography of Henry Chadwick. So if you please welcome Mr. Andrew Schiff. Hello, sir. Hello, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. Trust me. Uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of your book, uh, please tell us, take a moment, tell us about yourself. We joke, we call this a moment uh, where we like to put out our shameless plugs. We say that in <laughs> jest. But please tell us about yourself, what you're doing, and uh, please tell us how you're managing through this COVID-19 crisis and ultimately your inspiration for writing this book. Hello, Sam? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, let me see if we've we've lost him. Uh, he's gotten disconnected. Um, and I, let me just give me a second to get that studio going. Uh, Andrew, uh, we should have him. Let me try to mute and unmute it. Um, in the meantime, uh, Andrew, Andrew, you there? Yes, I am. Oh, there we go. Great. Great. Okay. We, we have you now. Uh, at what point, uh, did you hear everything I said or would you like to meet? Yeah, I heard everything you said. Um, what inspired me to, to write a book on Chadwick? Well, I was at, um, you know, I was a history major at Brooklyn College. I loved history. And I had a friend of mine who would go to the libraries and look up, um, you know, old baseball journal uh, articles from the Brooklyn Eagle. And he mentioned, a, you know, a guy about this guy named Henry Chadwick. And, um, you know, I started doing some research. I took a history, American New York City history class. And, you know, I came up with an idea of doing some research on baseball history, you know, in the 1860s, which involved the three major teams from Brooklyn, the Excelsiors, the, the Atlantics, and the Eckfords. And then, you know, and then when I got to graduate school, I came up with the idea of writing a biography on Henry Chadwick and uh, wrote a master's thesis. And then uh, I was uh, teaching as an adjunct, and a fellow professor of mine, Joe Dorrenson, um, suggested that I make it into a book. And I contacted McFarlane, the publisher, and they agreed uh, that they would be thrilled to have a, because they specialize in a lot of 19th century early baseball history. Um, there were other, um, I, you know, I, maybe I should have, uh, you know, marketed this one, but it was uh, my first book. And uh, it's really interesting because, you know, the book has, in addition to biographical information about Chadwick, uh, there's a lot of New York City history and Brooklyn history in, in this uh, bio. And also a bit of English history as well, uh, because Chadwick was born in England uh, in 1847, I'm not sure, 1824, and came in over in 1837. So. Uh, there's a little bit of a history with that. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry I answered your question and then some, uh, but, but uh, that's basically what got me interested. 
please, uh, just to recap, tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, well, what, what you're doing, and uh, like I say, uh, how you're managing through this COVID-19 crisis. Well, I'm uh, <clears throat> currently working for Carnegie Hall. I work uh, in fundraising, and uh, I'm able to work from home. And uh, I've been staying healthy as much as I can, um, vitamins, fluids, and things like that. Um, and um, so, you know, and also I've, I've taught as an adjunct professor most recently at Torah College, uh, teaching Western civil uh, history. I've taught American history at a very, uh, some other smaller schools in and around New York City and, uh, you know, Westchester and things like that. I've taught uh, Western Civ or American history. So uh, what I'm currently doing is working for Carnegie Hall in the fundraising department, and uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm an assistant manager as well, so that, that's what I'm currently doing. And I actually I'm considering writing a, um, a second edition of Henry G- the Bio because there's some more information that I came across that would be could be included in the book. So that's a, that's another thing entirely. I'll be looking out for that. So let's say you we jump right in. He comes to Brooklyn from England, as you say, at the age of 12. And near 20 years later, in 1856, he stumbles upon a game between the New York Eagles and Gotham's, and he has this epiphany. And as you write, he saw the future. Yeah. um, You know, he he knew baseball. um, You know, baseball came from England. It was played, There were you know, a variety of different versions of the game. Uh, the one he came across was a little more advanced. Uh, the game, the it, it was the New York game, which had started in the mid-1840s by the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, the, probably the most important figure in that area was a guy named Daniel Lucius Doc Adams, who, who later became friends with Henry Chowick, and he's the one, now not Alexander Cartwright, that came up with some of the basic rules. He invented the shortstop position, which alternated between the current position it placed today and what, what when when in the position at second base because remember, remember back then, um, if you were a first baseman, second baseman, or a third baseman, you were playing on the bag. So the second the shortstop had to play in the hole, uh, or on the other side, you know, the hole between the for second and third, and between uh, second and first. And so the, uh, there was uh, so the, the Knickerbockers had established these rules and. <clears throat> In the early 1850s, it expanded a little bit. There were more rules added. Um, <clears throat> the Knickerbockers had established the foul, what is it, a foul line, a foul ball, and it was not a foul ball. And then Ch- uh, Chabby got involved in the 1850s and got involved and became a member of the Rules Committee. So, uh, and then he became more important as the um, decades ensued in the 1860s and 1870s. He's a man of science. Uh, he was into the arts. And as you also say, uh, he was agreeable with a certain level of baseball Darwinism. Uh, It's interesting how the game evolved. Uh, I learned a lot by watching the vintage circuits uh, that play locally in the area. Uh, And I found out that catcher is one of the most supreme positions on the field. Now, defense, you know, as I say, as a consideration, took a back seat pitcher versus batter confrontation instigated by the likes of James Green. Yeah. And it took another backseat again within the box score itself uh, in favor of more offensive-related information. Now, Henry, of course, is the inventor inventor, and, and uh, of so much, I should say, uh, statistics and the scoring system. 
And, uh, you know, he is the first chronicler of the game and its first historian. Hopefully you can expand upon that, please. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, he um, – there were certain things that he advocated that eventually became, you know, part of the game. Um, he he the, the game in those stages was to uh, uh, feed – the pitcher was like a secondary item. He was, he was there to feed – the hitter and the hitter would tell the pitcher where he wanted the ball to, to be struck, and then the fielders would go into action. And uh, Chadwick never, uh, always, he never ever. Um, what I'm trying to say is that he he always believed that the beauty of baseball was in where the fielding was, and um, you know uh, that that uh, role of the pitcher changed over time as he as the pitcher developed trick pitches like the curveball. And um, so as far as his perspective was concerned, you know, the beauty of the game was in in, in the movement of, of the ball throughout the infield and throughout the outfield. Um, one of the thing, one of the greatest um, inventions in baseball was the adaptation in 1864 of the flycatch. Because previous to that, there, you were allowed to catch the ball on one hop, and then the batter would be retired. But and the there was all this type of discussion, pro and con, you know, whether to adapt this rule. Now, the rule was adapted, but you still could catch the ball in foul territory uh, on one bounce. But in, if it was in play, it was, if it was in fair territory, you still you were made to um, catch the ball in the air. Um, it was described as more manly and more scientific. Uh, I believe the, the cricket. One of the things that uh, I think some of the, uh, the resistance and some of the um, and, and some of the people who were in favor of it had something to do with cricket because cricket had the, the fly catch in the game. So there was uh, you know, any type of resistance because they didn't want to make baseball too like cricket, or they wanted to make it more like cricket to be more scientific. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's basically um, you know it was one of the things that was going on at that particular time. So the first thirty. Years of his career, so you know he establishes himself through his endeavors, and he's widely acknowledged as you know, quote unquote, the father of baseball uh, for the way he nurtured and grew the game. But mm-hmm. as we near the end of the century, he starts coming into conflict uh, when the when baseball goes professional. He starts coming into conflict with some of those Western powers, and by this century's turn. Uh, he's really under siege. And some of these people on the attack are his friends, yeah. uh, postulating that Chadwick is inflicting damage to the game itself uh, due to his prize denouncing gambling and alcoholism at games. Now, after all, you uh, you and I both know that, you know, the American Association was called the, uh, the Beer and Whiskey League, for Pete's for mm-hmm. sake. So you can right. go through that stage. Yeah, um you know, there was uh, the American Association was kind of the precursor to the American League, um, and you know they, you know, it's a marketing situation where they were attracting people to drink beer and to drink whiskey and to enjoy, you know, libations. You know, we see it today. Well, you know, I grew up, you know, in the seventies and where people were allowed to buy beer at games. Uh, today, they have some restrictions on that, um, but uh, there's always been this balance between. You know, proper behavior at a ball game, and then you know, allowing some rowdiness 
uh, and this has been the situation that Chabuk writes about through, throughout his career. And then um, he, he runs into trouble a bit uh, around the 1870s when he's writing about this stuff. It's sort of, you know, he's writing about it with good intentions. It's kind of like uh, people talking about what happened recently with the Houston Astros, that it's uh, somebody came out and said something with good intentions, but it's also given a baseball black eye. Um, so it's a you know it's a double-edged sword, and then um, the uh, when the National League was founded, there was the American National Association of Baseball Players started in 1871. When the National League came into existence, during those meetings they held Chadwick out, uh, Spalding, um, George Wright. Spalding was a great pitcher and became a sporting goods magnate, and George Wright was the uh, manager of the uh, many great uh, baseball teams. He kind of invented a lot of baseball strategy. They uh, And William Holbert of the, of the Chicago White Stockings got together, and they what they did essentially was to create a league that was run by the owners as a business. Okay, Before that, it was the players who ran the league, and then there were people who made rules, but uh, there were no, there was very little enforcement because there wasn't a kind of a, you know, o- o- body looking over what was going on. So, um, and then, as you alluded to, he he ran into the face of the um, the, the idea of the, how, how baseball, the, where ba- baseball derived from, and you know, the, all, throughout the uh, 1850s, 60s, and 70s, and even the early 19th century, there were several waves of nationalism going on um and chadwick was on the plus side of that when he talked about baseball being the national pastime uh in the 1850s and 1860s and 1870s but he was on the other side of it when the uh, uh abner doubleday myth was created and he was saying you know baseball had its um you know uh, was derived from british games um and like rounders and um, all these uh, magnates and fit political figures uh, in baseball uh, sided against him, and uh, and they you know came out with the after Doubleday theory that Doubleday invented baseball. Um, so that that's uh, you know so we had to deal with a lot of that toward the end of his life, um, and uh, you know it was a little tough to deal with. He was an elder statesman by that time, but uh, you know uh, that's that that's what happened. Now, in your opinion, some of the, let's call them uh, attacks by Henry Wright and William Holbert, and even uh, Albert Spaulding, was was there any merit in their contentions uh, against Chadwick's beliefs? Well, I, I read a letter that uh, was written by Harry Wright to William Holbert saying, um, you know, he admitted that Chadwick was the father of baseball, and he was actually defending him. But then he said, you know, I, I, I do see where his um, his discussions about the, you know, the problems of the league were affecting the impact of the game. Uh, on the other hand, when the when the National League is created, I mean, the National League is created, uh, William Holbert uh, sort of becomes the leader in sort of enforcing, you know, the law, which Henry Chadwick was all about. Um, I guess Hubbard, you know, held uh, Chadwick in contempt because Chadwick was kind of like a czar in the rules committee and in the, in the rules, and um, you know he was getting in his way, uh, so to speak. And 
uh, it's very unfortunate because, you know, Spalding raised funds for Chadwick's monument that's in Greenwood Cemetery. And, uh, you know, um, they eventually included Chadwick when the National League was created. They brought him, they brought him in to the circle. So they really didn't forget him, but they, they really didn't want to include him in the beginning because um, they were maybe afraid for some bad publicity. But once the league was established they kind of brought him into the circles. And later on, when the American League was created, he was sort of against the American League and was pro-National League. So it's a very complicated, convoluted situation, but that's, you know, that's what happened um, at that particular, uh, during that particular, those particular times. You're listening to Bedford and Sullivan podcast, and our guest this afternoon is Andrew Schiff. He's the author of The Father of Baseball, a biography of Henry Chadwick. Uh, let's wind this down because I know you're somewhat pressed for time. Uh, sure. Henry Chadwick passes away at the age of 84, and it seems uh, his detractors all acknowledge he was the indubitably correct, that he was indubitably correct and righteous in his historical analysis, admitting mm-hmm. this sure. upon his passing. Uh, does he pass away a vindicated man? And then we'll get into... Uh, you know, the contributions of, of Mr. Ebbets and Mr. Spalding himself. But does he die a vindicated man? Um, at that time, no. Um, I think he's vindicated now um, over, over the last 20 years. Um, so I do think he's been vindicated. You know, I, I don't know if a lot of people, even though there's a lot of 19th century baseball organizations throughout the country, uh, start, I know it's all started in Long Island, but it's just spread throughout the, the U.S. Um, I don't know if people really know his story, and, they, and some people don't even know who he is. And uh, there's still many, like I, I uh, there's, a, there's a guy named Eric Miklich who wrote a, who has a 19th century baseball league, and on his website he credits uh, Alexander Cartwright for in, inventing the game in the 1840s, which he didn't. And he has virtually nothing on, on Chadwick. So there's a lot of misinformation that even with people who are kind of passionate about 19th century baseball, um, and of course there are the people who write about it, like John Thorne, who is the baseball's official, MLB's official baseball historian, and um, Richard Hershberger, who wrote a, just came out with a, a wonderful book on baseball rules. Um, they know who he is, and, and there are people who know him, but not enough know about him and uh look we we live in an era where there's people just don't know their history so it's not surprising they don't know you know baseball's true history either so that's uh that's what i have to say about that and by the way i didn't mention the fact that i am a musician you asked me what i do i'm a musician i'm, I'm also a songwriter as well so i, I didn't want i do want to <laughs> mention that i forgot that in the beginning well done uh sam as you know mr Ebbett was a, a major contributor uh, to the burial costs in securing the plot, and Albert Spalding uh, helped finance or contribute, or if not pay for, perhaps Andrew, you can clarify that for me. Uh, the monument, the beautiful monument, uh, erected at his plot. Well, you know <clears throat> what is remarkable about it, and I haven't seen it for myself in person. I, I don't know why, you know, me being in Brooklyn and me being such such a Brooklyn, you know, fan and historian. Um, hasn't gone to visit uh, uh, Greenwood Cemetery as a whole. But 
it's yeah. pretty remarkable seeing what uh, uh, th- that that it's made to to be the uh, infield of a baseball field. It's, it's really excellent. And Andrew, I, I wanted to ask you to expand a little bit before you go on uh, Henry Chadwick's uh, Brooklyn uh, roots, uh, having been there since the age of twelve. And um, also, I was just curious about uh, whether you whether your roots in Brooklyn go all the way back to your birth. Yeah, they do. I. I um spent most of my life in Brooklyn. I don't live in Brooklyn now, but I, I grew up, and we, uh, my father had a, a furniture business in Sheepshead Bay Road, and uh, it was around, it was started by my grandparents, and then my father took it over in the, in the early 1970s. I grew up in Manhattan Beach, and everybody knew my dad and my uncle and my grandfather and my grandmother because they, uh, they ran the store very successfully, so I have these roots. By the way, Sheepshead Bay is also the home of Vince Lombardi, uh, Larry David, the comedian, and Buddy Rich, the drummer. So that's uh, a little little nugget for you. Um, <laughs> Chadwick, you know, came to America, and and as I mentioned, in 1837, and uh, on a package of Philadelphia. And I, I I was it was amazing uh, when I came up with that uh, when I was in the New York Public Library, and I was able to find that the, the information that also that he had a sister that was that went with him, and. Uh, his, uh, he moved around a lot. There was a lot of, uh, you know, he, he lived in Park Slope area, and then he wound up toward the end of his life in Bed-Stuy. He did spend some time long, on Long Island, on the um, uh, far east of Long Island, for a certain couple of years. <clears throat> but uh, he, uh, he, his last residence was what would be current-day Bedford-Stuyvesant, and um, it was a different um, neighborhood than it is now, of course. And much of Brooklyn is, is different now. You know, back in, in his time, you know, there were ponds, there were streams, rivers. You could go bird hunting. It was, uh, it was teeming with wildlife. And, of course, that it really isn't the case, case now, although there's, you know, certain, sometimes you see something. Like I, a couple of years ago, I, I, was going, I was home and I was going upstairs and I saw a raccoon. So once in a while you see some, <laughs> you see some wildlife. But basically, uh, you know, in my book I emphasized how different Brooklyn was back then and how it is today, how it's uh, no longer as a rural um, as, it, as it is, you know, it's no longer rural as it was back then. So that's one of the things that I, you know, that I kind of brought out of my book as well, in addition to some of the other things. Um, Andrew, I, I just want to also say my mom is, uh, grew up around the corner from the Carvel on Coney Island Avenue in Sheepshead Bay. So Yo. um, you are... You're welcome to uh, come back on and explore. Well, we, I'd love to dive deep into your Brooklyn history sometime. Definitely. I would love to talk about that. Yeah, the, yeah, I would definitely do that. Sure. Uh, Excellent. Well, thank you. For, um, uh, before, yeah, I'm going to pass you back on to, to Mike, and, and thank you for me to, uh, for joining us today. Sam, thank you so much for having, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Andrew, your book was definitely a glimpse into society as well. Uh, just to throw this in there, you know, the Capitoline grounds where the Atlantics played, that was carved out of the old Lafert farm. Uh, oh. So, you know, that, that, that you know, period in time, uh, as you say, you know, how Brooklyn has transformed since then is remarkable. Uh, last bit, just please clarify that last point I tried making about uh, the contributions of Mr. Ebbets and Mr. Spaulding as far as securing the plot and erecting that monument. Well, they they had the money to back it up. I mean, Chadwick was uh, one of the things that Chadwick had difficulty doing was making a lot of money. There's a very sad 
thing that he said uh, about um, that he still had to work, um, you know, in his mid-80s or, or mid to early 80s. And so what happened was when he passed away, Spalding and Ebbets, who were both men of means, um, contributed to d- uh, developing the, um, you know, the the the, the uh, stone or the, the the statue, however you want to call it. Uh, and it's great because it is granite rather than limestone, so it was held up very well. And uh, you know, I want to give Peter Nash some credit. He was the one who kind of uh, cleaned up the area around Chadwick's grave because uh, originally there was those, those base paths. And he was the one who sort of um, got uh, the Greenwood Cemetery to recreate it, uh, to re- recreate the uh, diamond. So, um, you know, uh, Ebbets, of course, you know, laid the groundwork for Ebbets Field and for the Dodgers. Uh, Spalding developed the, uh, you know, the, the actually the sporting goods company and was a great pitcher, is, you know, rightfully in the Hall of Fame. They both are. Uh, I'm not so sure about if Ebbets is, but certainly Albert Spalding is. And um, they, you know, obviously uh, Spalding, and there was some tension between the two, but, I, you know, uh, Chadwick left Spalding his, um, you know, collection of his articles, which I use. They're, they're currently in the New York Public Library in a special section. And, um, and Spalding donated it. Um, and there's other great books about Spalding and the, the invention of uh, the, the, uh, the Doubleday thing, which was the... By David Block, it's called Baseball Before We Knew It, or Before We Know It, um, and it's a really great book on uh, Albert Spalding, um, you know, settling on Abner Doubleday being the the, uh, the uh, inventor of baseball, which, as we all know, is not true. Andrew, on behalf of Sam, I want to thank you so much once again for your time this afternoon talking about Henry Chadwick. The book is The Father of Baseball, a biography of Henry Chadwick. Uh, that's McFarlane and Company Publishers. Uh, please, I know you're pressed for time. Please take this moment for one final word. The stage sure. is yours. Oh, the just stage basically, is yours. I, you know, this this Terry Chadwick was was voted in Zebra as the most important 19th century baseball figure. And if it weren't for the fact that he invented baseball journalism, that he invented the scorecard, which we now have today, which and which is still very similar to what we use now, that he, he came up with the K for strikeout. Uh, he came up with all the terms like triple, double, single. If it weren't for him, that wouldn't we wouldn't we, we, we might still be playing cricket. Um, he was that much of an influential figure, and he was also influential in the in the um, rulemaking of the game, the the evolution of the game. Um, and there's a reason why he is called the father of baseball, um, and by his peers um, and uh, by his friends, because of as they say, as Jerry, as um, um, George Wright said, "The pen for the men is for the pen is mighty," and that's where he gives credit to Chadwick for being the father of baseball because of his uh, in, his incredible influence. Andrew, once again, thank you. I hope uh, I look forward to speaking to you again shortly. Uh, appreciate your time. On behalf of Sam, thank you again, and be well, sir. Stay Michael, safe. thank you so much. Thank you so much, and stay safe for you. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear from you. Good day, sir. Bye bye. Thank you, Andrew. Stay healthy. Um, you know, Mike, it is fascinating just, you know, I've been going around Manhattan, uh, driving around, uh, really all the boroughs, but Manhattan especially. Um, and, and when he was talking about what, uh, Brooklyn looked like when Henry Chadwick was out there in Bed-Stuy, uh, you know, for the, the last parts of his life, 
you you know you're talking about these ponds, these streams. The only thing, the only place that I could think of that probably still has a little bit of that captured, still still preserved, is it called Highland Park? Is that correct? Uh, kind of on the outskirts, on the border between Brooklyn and Queens. That name still exists, indeed. Uh, and you also have to consider that Brooklyn at that time was still uh, divvied up into farmland, uh, and there were six major farm holders in Brooklyn. Uh, and like I said, the Capitol Line grounds where the Atlantics played uh, in Crown Heights, uh, bordered by what is today Nostrand Avenue, Halsley, Putnam, uh, and the other street escapes me at the moment. But uh, the point is that that field was carved out of the Lefferts farm. You know, it, and, and in terms of the influence that he, he still has, you know, it, it's the type of thing where you you have no idea you know i i can only in some fashion compare it to winoni harris of rock and roll he doesn't get enough credit uh, for for what he did at the beginning of rock and roll and uh you know henry chadwick it's the language that we talk with baseball and nobody has any idea and and when i guess you know some of us obviously have have the uh, the curiosity about it but nobody necessarily is thinking, oh, I wonder, you know, why I'm saying triple-double single. Well, there you go. Uh, as Andrew alluded to, you know, Henry Chadwick created language we all speak today very fluently. Uh, that all derives from Henry Chadwick. Yeah, and I, I urge everybody out there, go buy The Father of Baseball, a biography of Henry Chadwick, uh, and I'm going to have to do so now. I, I appreciate, Mike, I appreciate that you were able to get ahead of this <laughs> and, well, and present let's, let's, Henry let's, Chadwick to us. Let's bring up one more point about Henry Chadwick, and that's his final days. Uh, in hmm. the preseason of 1908, the year of his passing, he attended a game at the Polo Grounds, an exhibition game at the Polo Grounds. Uh, and the weather was raw, and he he was already... Uh, you know, dealing with uh, several injuries, physical injuries uh, from a trip and fall, and, uh, you know, not feeling well. He was advanced in age. He was 84 years old. So he wasn't feeling well after going to the polo grounds. And then he went to Washington Park to see, as Andrew wrote, his beloved Superbus opening day at Washington Park. Uh, And that's when he truly fell ill. He... uh, contracted pneumonia, and he died shortly thereafter. Uh, and and that, that was his last game at Washington Park to go see opening day, the uh, the Brooklyn Superbus. His last two games, you know, um, how appropriate as a uh, an Englishman in New York City and, 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 you know, goes down as a true American. Uh, but he passed away yeah. and his last his last two games were at the Polo Grounds in Washington Park. And I think it is interesting that an Englishman, where obviously, you know, England is where the majority of of the influence comes from when it comes to baseball, uh, he helped shape it in its American form. He didn't try to keep to the traditions of of the the bat and ball game. He tried to evolve it into what it, it you know, what it was at the end of the 19th century. And you're you're spot on about that because when we get back into his baseball Darwinism, you know, he realized that it may have been English in its origin, but that it evolved into something wholly American. 
and those conflicts we had he had with uh, the likes of Wright and, and some of those Western powers that were now introduced into the league. You know, uh, like we discussed, there was a lot of anti-English sentiment running wild in our society at the time. So, uh, you know, Andrew's book is indeed a, a glimpse into society. And it's interesting, too, in that they were, because of that, they were trying to make it as American as possible, including the right. invention of it, without, right. without, you know, it, it was basically almost creationism versus Darwinism, like you said. There you go. And him being an Englishman, you know, they, they, they held that against them, obviously, or apparently. Uh, very, very, uh, very modern dynamic, <laughs> wouldn't you say? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, these these things these things evolve. They these things evolve. Uh, they take new shape, um, even if it's the exact same thing you've heard before. Uh, uh, it's just in a different incarnation. That's just, I guess, you know, that's the 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 human condition, if you will. Uh, and and you know, hopefully, we'll have to we'll have to see where this this entire thing, like you and I talked about on a Metzian podcast, and and with Rich. Uh, the other night, um, and, and Phil, of course, got to give a shout-out to Phil, who we're going to uh, get on here at some point. Um, you know, what we talked about is, like, where does this game evolve from here? Uh, uh, where does this game go after this, this whole coronavirus? Yeah, you're right. And like I said last night, you know, I fear the great correction. Anything that they're going to try to think of, device, I think they're going to try to implement. Uh, so I'm a little bit weary as to the future of baseball. Curious to see what they're going to try. Uh, hopefully they don't deviate too much from the game that, you know, we all came to love as children. You know, I, I say that in just somewhat. I'm 53 now and, you know, I, I don't understand the rules of baseball anymore. <laughs> Well, okay, so I'll leave you with this for the final word. Um, if, if Henry Chadwick is the father of baseball, who's the grandfather of baseball? That would, you know what? I'll give you an answer. The members <laughs> of the Washington Baseball Club in New York, because a bunch of yeah. them are the ones who branched off and formed the New York Knickerbockers. So if we're going to call the New York Knickerbockers, you know, the first organized team and participants in the first organized game and, and place that label upon them, which is somewhat inaccurate, then you would have to call the grandfathers of the game uh, members of the Washington Club. Hmm. And that is going to have to be a rabbit hole that we go down another day, uh, you know, it, it's it's something that we haven't touched on enough. Um, you always want, and, and like I said, I, I said in the blurb for this, uh, obviously we're focused on happenings of the Brooklyn Ball Club and Brooklyn itself within the, 20, uh, the 20th century and uh, a 20-year period between 1937 and 1957. But context and exhibition is extremely important, no matter how it uh, incarnates itself within the, the story that I'm trying to weave on a screenwriting form. So... Uh, I, I I have to uh, go down this rabbit hole, which is obviously the phrase of the night, <laughs> a little further. So, Mike, I appreciate you helping to welcome 
and your shift to uh, to the Brooklyn to the uh, Bedford and Sullivan podcast and, and giving us a little insight on Henry Chadwick, the father of baseball. I appreciate you having me and allowing me to uh, have a little bit of time on Bedford and Sullivan. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. We'll be right back here on Wednesday uh, when we're going to explore the neighborhood the uh, neighborhood of Weeksville in Brooklyn with the uh, the Brooklyn Borough Historian Ron Schweiger. So join us then on Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Take care, everybody. Be safe, be healthy.